นโมทัสสะบุคคะโทอะระหะโทสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคะโทอะระหะโทสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคคะโทอะระหะโทสั
difficulties. And uh, I often tell you know, people who plan on joining the monastery and they say, your, your family wants to know what you're doing. You can tell them that you're, you're enrolling for a course in strategic frustration. This is, this is an ex- intensely frustrating way to live. Now, it's not without its rewards, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. But the process, the path, is, as I was saying, it's not a picnic. And, and I know that Nick is aware of this, and anybody who, despite their awareness of the difficulties they're, they're setting themselves up for, still takes it on. It's, a, it's um, inspiring. It's, um, yeah, I'm happy for Nick, but I'm also happy for the world when anybody does this. And anybody decides to set aside the distractions and commit as much of their heart energy, their bodily energy, their mental energy to the path of awakening, uh, I'm convinced that's for everybody's benefit. From a materialistic perspective, it may not look that way. On the outside, we often don't look like we're very productive or generating a lot of benefit for the world. Uh, but I'm sure we're all aware that the way things look on the outside is not how they actually are. So this uh, focusing one's heart and body and mind to the path, the practice of awakening is a beautiful thing. But it is a challenging thing. And uh, In this case, I, I know that Nick has been preparing himself for a good long while and uh, it's not going to come as a surprise when he finds uh, his life increases in frustration and as he encounters the uncertainty of life because that's really what a lot of the extras, a lot of the distractions are about uh, so we don't have to see the uncertainty of everything you know, this life that we live is really very uncertain and to own up to this takes a lot of clarity and a lot of effort and um, but this is a, a intentional action in this case or if anybody takes up this training then it's because they want to see this they want to see reality they want to see Dhamma I'm also aware this evening of, um, as many of you would be, that why Ajahn Punyo is not with us. He's dealing with another type of encountering uncertainty and uh, that would be, as you would know, the, the fact that his sister recently received a diagnosis of uh, advanced cancer. The uncertainty that she is having to encounter, having to deal with, is very challenging. Also, uh, another Dhamma friend in Malaysia, similarly, recently, suddenly, out of the blue, unexpectedly, while he was away uh, overseas, actually, uh, also received a uh, diagnosis of stage 4 cancer. And uh, For people who find themselves in that predicament, well... The uncertainty is not approached, is not embraced in the same intentional manner as somebody taking up this training. 
and comes, in fact, as a shock often, as a surprise, and it's, it's, it's unwelcome, and probably in most cases uh, uh, unprepared for. However, in all cases, whenever we encounter uncertainty, whether it's something that we intentionally set ourselves up for, or whether it's unexpected and unwelcomed and unprepared for, uh, in a way, there's a a similarity. It's uh, it's the same thing, really. That, uh, we need we really need to develop an agility in how we approach uncertainty. The suffering that comes when we approach uncertainty, when we encounter uncertainty, is generally a result of the fact that we really like to be in control. Yeah. All deluded egos love to be in control and like the thought that they're going to continue to be in control. But yeah, whether it's taking up uh, the renunciate training in a monastic community like this and... and Suddenly you're sitting at the end of the line and being told when you can sit and when you can eat and when you can sleep and when you can do this and do not do that. Or whether it's receiving an unexpected, unwelcome medical diagnosis, we suddenly realize what it's like when we lose control. And it helps to register what's going on there. This doesn't feel good. I like to be in control. Now, if we don't register that and we keep fighting it, uh, we increase the frustration. Uh, We make it more difficult for ourselves trying to regain control over things that we can't control. Uh, Some things we we simply can't control. Uh, But what we can control is our commitment to awareness that we do have influence over. That's why as Buddhists we go for refuge to the Buddha. The Buddha is unobstructed awareness itself. When this heart, this consciousness we have as human beings is truly free from all obstructions which is the state of awakening when that's truly the case, then there's no need to control conditions. It's a more a matter of being able to accord with conditions. And so that's why the wise beings, the wise human beings on this planet, know the state of non-suffering. They move through the same world that we do. They walk on the same earth as we do. They're not getting around like half an inch off the earth as some people think arahants are kind of not really touching the earth there's no evidence of that they're walking on the same planet as we do they eat like we do but they don't suffer like we do because there's a realisation of the reality they All the obstructions, all the habits of distraction, in their case, have been removed. And what they see is what is true, what is real. So there's no struggle. So 
when, wherever we are on our journey, whether we encounter uncertainty as a result of an intentional interest or whether we encounter increased uncertainty for some unexpected reason whereby we feel frustrated, we still see this is uncertain. You know, we have all these questions that we're asking about life. So to see it as an opportunity to train in agility, can, can I use this opportunity to get some leverage, to get more skillful at how I live life, to get more agile, get more subtle, and to see it as an opportunity for developing wisdom. The perspective, the understanding of those wise beings means that they don't suffer. We suffer because we don't have their perspective, we don't have their understanding. But we're told by the Buddha and realized beings that this is something that can be cultivated, there's something we can do about this. We can train in the direction of developing wisdom. Ajahn Chah, some of you will have heard me speak about before, towards the end of his life when his faculties started fading and he had a series of strokes and, and uh, some of his wires got crossed and he, but he talked about it and he said how he, you know, he would want to ask for such and such a monk to come and see him. He'd open his mouth to say, tell such and such to come and see me. And the words that came out were, tell so and so to come and see me. Yeah. He couldn't control his speech. But from his perspective, from a wise perspective, from a free perspective, he said, no problem. The wires are crossed. I take great inspiration from that, that there is such a possibility. Possibility to cultivate the refuge in awareness, to cultivate our faculties so as we're not just trying to control conditions so as I get what I want out of life because that's just a recipe for disappointment. Even if we do manage for a long time to get what we want out of life, sooner or later we're going to encounter uh, the loss of control and disappointment that comes with that. So, so the wise approach is to prepare ourselves, at least with the understanding. You know, even if we haven't necessarily developed the skills yet, we have the understanding there, we have the programming in place so that when life does become uh, uh, particularly frustrating and the, the raw reality, the raw uncertainty of life uh, impacts on us, we know why. So, all right, that's why this feels difficult. We were resisting habits of resisting reality. And so this is, this is the training for all of us, whatever our walk of life. And remember when Ajahn Sumaita was leaving uh, Britain after... Uh, all those decades of building monasteries in, in Europe and uh, around the world and uh, reached the point where it was time for him to step down and he made the choice of, of settling back into Thailand. And when he was leaving this country, one of the last conversations I had with him, uh, he told me how he really didn't want to be in this position of leadership. It was not his thing at all. But since Ajahn Chah asked him to do it, he was willing to do it. He, he was hugely indebted to Lumpur Chah and very grateful to Lumpur Chah. And so Lumpur Chah said, you know, I want you to help out with doing this here, head up this 
this thing of setting these monasteries, he willingly uh, accepted that and gave himself into it. Uh, but he told me it, it was absolutely not what he wanted, absolutely beyond his ability, absolutely unfair, and absolutely too much. But, he said, it was the very best thing that ever happened to him. Because he had to dig deeper. He, he told me this. And it was with all humility he was telling me. He certainly wasn't proud of the struggles that he'd had. It was intensely difficult and for much of the time. But because of the commitment he made and his wish to do what he was asked to do properly, he had to dig deeper and had to go beyond what he, whatever he possibly thought he could do. And, and so in other words, he took it on as a training. So, so when we encounter uncertainty, uh, if we can see it as a, as a uh, this is an opportunity to develop in agility and subtlety and to cultivate this wisdom to see it as a training. And if we see it as a training, then we don't have to be perfect, which is very nice. Because I don't know anybody that's perfect. And, but if we think we're perfect, or we think we should be perfect, well, it's just continually embarrassing. Every time you mess up and fall flat on your face, you're busy either condemning yourself for doing it or pretending it didn't happen, which is terrible. One way or another, we make it worse. We're all going to fall over. We're all going to fail. And by that I mean we're going to forget our refuge in awareness and, and we get pulled into the conditions. We get pulled into the vortex. We get pulled into the habits of clinging, taking sides for and against. I love this, I hate that, I like this, I dislike that. And we get pulled into becoming, into being born. And it takes a while before we remember, oops, got lost again. So if we do see this as a training, whether it's an obvious training as in the monastic form that we have here, you know, or in the householder where taking on training according to the five precepts or the eight precepts and, you know, and sense restraint and mindfulness and wise reflection, or whether it's an unexpected, unwelcome, uh, frustrating circumstance that we find ourselves in, if we can think of it in those ways. This is part of training. This is our training. So long as we're alive, we're always in training, yeah. unless we've finished our work. Right? And for the rest of us, we're always in training, and so then when we do fall over and we do mess up, we begin again. And, and if it's a training we're committed to, then we get more skilled to begin again, more willing to begin again, less judgmental. You know, we pick ourselves up quicker. And no judgment. Keep making the effort. Mm-hmm. However many times we forget and get lost and get pulled into clinging, as soon as we recognize, no judgment, begin again. So the encounters that we all face from time to time with the raw uncertainty of life, as I was saying, can be intensely frustrating. And inevitably, we are going to encounter resistance. 
because of our habits. So I don't want it this way. I want it my way. I like it predictable. I like to be in control. I like to be comfortable. I like to be happy. And sometimes it's just not like that. And we feel deeply threatened, deeply challenged. And, And if we resist that, well, then the the heat that gets generated, that also, the heat that comes with experiencing frustration, experiencing disappointment, that's that's not wrong, that's not outside of practice. If we we are there for it, if we can recognize it, we can include that also. Even our habits of resistance that generate heat can be functional. Like the image that the Buddha gave talking about the path of practice and likening it to purifying gold. You have to turn the heat up so the dross comes to the surface. And and likewise, we, we can intentionally put ourselves under pressure and feel the frustration that comes with our resistance. And that friction, that frustration, that heat that is generated can be functional. It shows up exactly where and when and how it is that we are resisting reality. And if we don't catch ourselves before we start resisting, then when we do catch ourselves afterwards, we go back and look at it again. All right, that's what I was doing there. And and, uh, when we have done that, when we've had an opportunity to uh, recognize our habits of resistance and, and let go, but we miss the point, yeah. and then afterwards we're left with the consequences, which is suffering. Yeah. Yeah. If we're really interested in reality, we go back and take another look at it again. Instead of, instead of just trying to get over mm, having missed the point, mm, instead of just trying to forget it, we go back and we take a look at it. All right, look, that's what I did. Now, this is not like hurting ourselves. This is not trying to punish ourselves. It's because we're interested in learning, really interested in learning. That that situation happened, and then that happened, and then this is the result. This is the result. Really getting interested. Something as mundane as like eating too much. Regularly, certainly people in this lifestyle, no eating in the evening, so... You know, used to eating in the evening, so the midday meal comes along, and there's a, regularly this exceptionally appealing food gets put out, and, and you know you're not going to get any more food for the day, and, and the temptation to overeat can be very strong, particularly in the beginning when you take up this training. And uh, yeah. so, if we miss it and we eat too much, and then in the middle of the afternoon we just feel like a pig. messed up again what do we do about that do we go and read a book or go and talk to a friend or have a cup of coffee to get a caffeine hit sugar hit anything to get over the consequences well actually if we're really interested in learning how to accord with reality we go in the opposite direction and we sit there this is what it feels like and run through it in our mind that happened and that happened, and then this. That happened, that happened, and then this. 
Yeah. It's our animal nature. It's our body. It's our wild passions that we're taming. And it's just like taming any other animal. Yeah, you've got to go over and over and over it again. It's, this is not a mental exercise. On the mental level, we all know, oh, clinging causes suffering, I should stop it. <laughs> That's very easy. Yeah, certainly, you know, Four Noble Truths, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's very easy, Four Noble Truths. I mean, how often have we heard about the Four Noble Truths? Was anybody here enlightened? I mean, no hands going up, right? Yeah. Yeah. On a mental level, it's very easy. Yeah. But the actuality uh, is not so easy. And so we've got to train the body. You know? So we use our mind, use our attention to run through it. That happened, then that happened, that happened. Or like if somebody says something that undermines us, or we feel undermined by what somebody says, we feel made small and we give away all our ability and become weak and, and then we resent them for it. Mm -hmm. so, oh, why did I do that? I always do that. Why do I always do that in their company? And you know, Well, it might be that they're such an inflated ego that you know, it's really, really difficult in their company not to give away your ability. Yeah. But still, that doesn't excuse us from you know, making ourselves small and weak. So what do we do if we have such a habit? We just distract ourselves and get a caffeine hit or you know, watch something and check out the news or something distracting? Or do we sit and really fully consciously feel the feeling that is the consequence of having missed this opportunity to meet the raw reality of life? Yeah. Yeah. Or when... The raw reality of resisting impacts on us. That's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to suffer. When we're resisting reality, we're supposed to feel like this. And so, so let's get really interested in that. Again, of course, not as a way of, uh, certainly not a way of hurting ourselves, but as a way of seeing what it is, where we're doing, what we're doing, that creates a problem out of life. Mm -hmm. That happens, and this happens, and then I feel like this, and we run through it. You know? And what we're doing in this practice is we're, we're purifying, mm -hmm. like the Buddha is talking about the image of purifying the goal. We're purifying the refuge. We're purifying our refuge in awareness. We're purifying our refuge in the triple gem. Mm -hmm. So encountering mm -hmm. the raw reality of life, encountering uncertainty can be very challenging but if we prepare ourselves in the right way and when it happens we can benefit from it. we can use it as a as a means of purifying our commitment to the refuges get deeper remember quicker when we forget like if Anagarika Nick forgets his commitment to the refuges and you know, sitting at the bottom of the line there and thinking, why should I have to put up with all this? I, I'm used to writing really sophisticated code. I've been doing it for years and I'm an expert in my field and why should I have to be told what to do by this young whippersnapper who's just out of university just because he's senior to me? I don't expect Nick will think like that, but he could. But that's called forgetting the refuge. That's called 
getting lost. Yeah. Or if it's a case where we, we get a very unwelcome medical diagnosis or something frustrating and disappointing happens and we find ourselves dwelling on why is this happening to me? It shouldn't be this way. We find ourselves thinking it shouldn't be this way. I can remember as a young monk when talking just exactly like that to Ajahn Chah at a time when I had, uh, I, had a, I had had surgery on both my knees at the same time and uh, it hadn't quite gone, the recovery hadn't quite gone as the, as the uh, medical professionals had predicted it would and two months later the healing wasn't happening how I had hoped and, and I was really struggling and, and very, very disappointed and, and was worried about my future as a monk uh, and I was trying to explain to Ajahn Chah how this is the doctor said this and, and they said that and, and it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be like this. And I remember him looking at me with this quizzical look and saying, well, if it shouldn't be this way, it wouldn't be this way. Yeah. As if I was a complete dronco. I mean, you know, <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't putting a, a new age spin on it as if, you know, like the universe had given me this thoroughly unpleasant circumstance so as to teach me a lesson it wasn't that, that, that wasn't the teaching it was like there are causes yeah, and there are effects it's like that that's how life is you know, if you get born there are going to be difficulties yeah. we can anthropomorphize the whole situation and imagine there's somebody out there looking after us and giving us these lessons but you know, that is one way of approaching these things but Certainly from the Buddhist perspective, that's not called for. It's rather letting go of that sort of projection. And say, well, we get born, this is what we can expect. Hmm. But because we don't train ourselves uh, in accordance with reality, then we're telling ourselves stories about reality. We're not really cultivating awareness so that we're alive and present and alert to what's happening in front of us, we regularly tell ourselves stories like we're going to last forever and that sickness is wrong and, uh, and that adds to the shock when reality impacts on us. But we do keep forgetting and every time we forget, well, the training is not about not forgetting it's about how to remember quicker. How to remember quicker. How to train our faculties so we don't stay lost for quite so long. Because you know, if we stay lost for a long time, well, you know, the pain can build up and the next thing we start blaming somebody for it. Saying life shouldn't be this way. And, and that really complicates things. So the training involves remembering quicker and recognizing those faculties which are really worth investing in, like mindfulness, you know, presence, attention, alertness, you know. mm. samadhi, you know, collectedness of mind, uh, settledness, you know. mm. sense restraint, uh, indriya samvara, sense restraint, wise reflection, these 
These are the tools of the spiritual journey. That if we have these tools, we have mindfulness, we have samadhi, we have sense restraint, we have wise reflection, adequately accessible, then whenever life impacts in a way that we feel challenging, we're better equipped to meet it. And remember, this is a training. We don't have to, we don't have to be perfect. Every time we learn a little bit, you know. What's, what's really tricky is that we have these, a fabulous imagination which can, can speculate about what a, you know, a thoroughly responsible, together, wise, compassionate me would look like. And uh, that's very attractive, yeah, much more attractive than the present reality. Yeah. And if we don't see that as a fantasy and we get greedy for it, well, then we make the, this, the process of training even more difficult than it has to be. So... That's why actually all of us probably benefit from slowing down. Slowing down and being more present as we wash the dishes. Being more present as we write the email. Not being in a hurry to finish the email so we can do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's one reason why in this training we have practices like every time we come to the Dhamma Hall here, stop and bow. Even if we're just coming in to pick something up, you come in take your hat off, stop, and bow. Yeah. Or every time we go in to the reception room there and for the meal, we arrive, we stop, turn to the shrine and we bow. What we're doing is interrupting this momentum that we easily get into. Yeah. Always going somewhere, doing something, distracting ourselves. Yeah. We're not really present a lot of the time. So if we understand this, well then we give ourselves into this training or we can appreciate those uncomfortable encounters in life that pull us up short. Yeah. And we stop and reflect, remember, and recommit ourselves to training in these skills. Yeah. We don't have to be perfect. When we forget and then we remember, we feel good that we remembered. But whatever we're doing in life, obviously, any tool we might be learning to use, it takes a while, and just the same in the spiritual journey. I was remembering recently this uh, building out here, the buyer. We've been, you see, some construction work going out there. And if you look along just above ground level, you see there's a whole lot of holes in the wall with this grey fluid kind of solid now, but it's not fluid anymore, but those holes were drilled in there about uh, uh, 30 years ago, I think, something like that, when when uh, these old farm buildings were taken over and, and of course, they didn't have damp courses. They're yeah. just actually, a lot of them don't even have foundations. These buildings are just built on rock, and so the damp comes up through the rock and then goes through the stone walls, and so the stone walls are permanently cold and damp and, and uh, perfect conditions for developing arthritis and spending a lot of money on gas and electricity. So, so the sensible thing to do is, well, you can't knock the building down and you know, put in a damp course, so you use another alternative, which is you drill these holes and you inject them with a silicon fluid which permeates through the stone and you end up with an actual chemical damp core, stops the damp from rising. And, but I remember the monk who was responsible for doing this at the time, he, 
he borrowed this really powerful drill that we had in Chithurst, this wonderful, powerful, hilty drill, magnificent tool, very powerful, very effective. And, and so he, he borrowed it and brought it up here, and, but he wasn't very skilled at using the tool and, and uh, didn't, uh, get <clears throat> didn't get enough advice on how to use it. So uh, he burnt it out <laughs> very quickly and ruined it. Uh, instead of leaning in and then pulling back a bit and leaning in and working the motor, he didn't even listen. He just got leaning and leaning and leaning in and dead. <laughs> What's wrong with this thing? What's wrong with it? Stupid piece of equipment. <laughs> Actually, it's not a stupid piece of equipment. It's a kind of best bit of equipment around. And, but the way he was relating to it wasn't the best. And, uh, not just the re-equipment, but also the technique. If you, drill, if you drill too far in, actually, then you inject the silicon, it actually just goes into the cavity of the wall. It doesn't even go into the stone. You've got to know when to stop. and It takes skill. Yeah. Or if you're not used to using a drill, you're maybe used to playing a musical instrument. It takes skill. You play the piano, maybe you can play God Save Our Gracious Queen on the piano, but, you know... What about playing Rachmaninoff or something you know, really extraordinary? It takes a lot of skill, a lot of time. And likewise with the spiritual tools. Sometimes people give up too soon because they haven't developed sufficient uh, spiritual muscle, so to speak, you know, like sense restraint the ability to inhibit the tendency to grasp it doesn't happen overnight or just in a few weeks. Rather, Consistent effort to be present, to be careful, how we relate to sense objects means you build up a certain ability to hold back and not to automatically react. And likewise with mindfulness, likewise with samadhi, likewise with wise reflection. These tools, these skills, we see them all as a training. And, and then when we, uh, this particular theme of encountering uncertainty, for whatever reason, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, you know, when we find it, impacts on us, it's really like doing an intensive course. Mm. It highlights the need. I really, I really need to work on this. You know, this is really worth working on and if we do work on it well then we find we've got a choice that when we do encounter uncertainty we can either contract become more rigid and suffer or we can expand become more agile and subtle and learn We've got a choice. We really do have that choice. Yeah. And if we know we have that choice, well, then we can, we can train in that direction. Yeah. Without subtlety of perception, without the ability to read our own hearts, our own condition for ourselves, we're just depending upon what books say or what other people say. Yeah. Reading, learning to read our own hearts is like any other language. You, you, know, you go to any foreign country and if you can't speak the language, 
get disoriented, get confused. And once you can speak the language, well, then you can communicate. Everything becomes easier. And likewise with our own hearts. And this morning at the meal, the people who came to make the offering were, were talking about a situation where an elderly person had uh, moved into living in a retirement home and uh, they were talking about how much they disliked it. And uh, that's perfectly understandable. You know, losing control of your life, losing the familiar environment. It's perfectly understandable that disliking arises. Yeah. Maybe even aversion. Yeah. Maybe the conditions are unattractive and yeah. noise. Sometimes these places have a lot of noise in them, sometimes disagreeable, and there may be even aversion. But does that have to mean that we experience hatred? Now, if we don't have subtlety of perception, we can't tell the difference. Yeah. It can be dislike, there can be aversion, but it doesn't have to be hatred. Hatred is something extra that we add. Or with liking, it's the same thing. You know, there can be liking, there can be wanting, but that doesn't mean to say we have to have craving. And so it takes a subtlety of perception. Even the theory of this doesn't do it. We need to be able to see for ourselves. Say, yeah, I can like that. I can want that. It's like, it's like the wood-burning stove in my cootie. Yeah. I like that it's there. I like when it's on. Yeah. I can enjoy the heat. I can stand next to it and enjoy the heat. But if I put my hand in it, that's something, that's something else. That's something extra. Yeah. It's where we step over the boundary and relate to it in a way that leads to suffering. And if we have that degree of subtlety of perception, if we've developed the tools, if we've done the training, yeah. so we're able to read for ourselves. See? There's liking, there's wanting, and that's the end of it. It doesn't have to go yeah. into craving. Yeah. Maybe we made some New Year's resolutions recently, uh, you know, Stop eating chocolate. You know, got to stop eating sugar, or stop doing something. And uh, but I like doing that. I, I, in fact, I really like eating sugar. Uh, but it's not good for me, so I'm going to stop eating sugar. Well, willpower doesn't work past a certain point. It's okay to get us started, but then if we bring the skills that we've learned. You know, in our spiritual life and apply them you're making yourself a cup of coffee and am I going to put a big spoon of sugar in this or not well I want to but do I have to no I want to and we're allowed to fully want if we have sufficient restraint sufficient mindfulness sufficient steadiness of attention yeah. sufficient interest yeah. this can become a really useful meditation a really useful contemplation giving up eating sugar can be really insightful yeah. I like sugar no question about that I want to eat sugar no question about that does it have to go any further do I have to put my hand in the fire and burn myself no yeah. just want, fully want 
Yeah. In the body, in the mind, really want to feel, maybe, you know, start shaking. I remember this when I was trying to give up smoking uh, many years ago. Uh, yeah. Should I go there and get a cigarette or should I st- go upstairs and not have one? Mm. I remember standing there, this indecision, almost mm. perhaps actually trembling. Yeah. But if we have the understanding to start off with, well, that can help. I'm allowed to want, I absolutely want to go and have a cigarette. I absolutely want to eat sugar. I absolutely want to tell that person what I think of them. But we don't have to do it. We can just want, potentially. But it does take a certain subtlety. And so this contemplation this evening, talking about encountering uncertainty, when we when we do encounter uncertainty, whether it's intentionally you know, taking on a, you know, a training like the training in renunciation, where we increase the pressure and we're confronted with the raw reality of life, or whether it's unintentionally, or in the case of a medical diagnosis or some other frustrating circumstance that life presents us with, if we prepared ourselves for it, we can use that opportunity to get more subtle, to train in wisdom, to develop the ability to accord with life rather than just resist it. Now, of course, it's, uh, as we would all know, it's easier said than done. When we find ourselves in these very trying situations, we can feel challenged to the very core. But even if we feel like we are not up to the task, even if we feel like we failed, we can always begin again. That's what it means to be a disciple of the Buddha. We're always training. We can always keep learning. So particularly this evening, uh, this contemplation, to generate the wish that Nicholas and his commitment to the training feels supported and has the resources to realize whatever potential he has uh, for true wisdom and true compassion. Also for those who, uh, particularly uh, Arjun Punya's sister and our, our Dhamma friend in Malaysia who are feeling intensely challenged at the moment, that they'll find they have the resources to turn those challenges into real wisdom and Ease. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.